Well, once again, it is good to be back here. Um, Tom only invites me once a year. So, uh, no, as many of you know, we swap pulpits uh, either the first of the year, this one Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. So it's a good chance to come and, and to see what God's doing in another congregation. Uh, as many of you know, uh, Tom's, one of Tom's brothers, Greg, is a member of our church and very involved there. So it's a time where he can go preach his brother, as I say. That's what he really wants to do. Um, but in all seriousness, it's a privilege to be here this morning, and, and I trust as we dig into God's Word it, it, that, you're, that our hearts and our minds would be open to it. Um, as we were reminded in the prayer, it is God's Word, and it's living and active. If you would turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 6, um, and what we're going to be looking at is a benediction, and it's Aaron's benediction. Uh, one correction, and I'll take the blame. Uh, I'm not going to put it on Tom for this, but, the, but the, the title is actually Seeing by Hearing, okay? Seeing by Hearing. And, and if, you are, if, you, if you're younger, um, and I'm not going to specify what age that is, and, and it's harder sometimes for you to pay attention during a sermon, uh, what we do, when I do in our church for the, for the kids that are not in children's church or in that age between, I, I throw out a phrase. I, I want you, and this phrase today is the title of seeing by hearing, okay? So I want you to, as you listen for that, listen for times when I say it, and uh, see if you can, you can get the concept that I, that I want to communicate this morning. So as we read this, as we look at God's Word, it is a benediction, uh, and really probably the first that we see in the Bible, in Scriptures, and, and it's one that we recognize as Aaron's benediction. I know it's short, and I know you've stood a lot, but I like to stand for the reading of God's Word out of respect for God's Word, because we hear from God when we read His Word. So from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That ends reading of God's word. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we come, and as I come, and I, and I preach this sermon this morning, I am very aware of my humanity, my weaknesses, and even my sin. But Father, we know uh, for some reason you have called me to be one who preaches and proclaims your word. So I pray that you would speak through me. May your Holy Spirit make these words alive. Uh, may he pierce through bone and marrow right to our heart. Each of our hearts that are in different places, some may be skeptical, others may be discouraged. Father, wherever it is, we know your word is living, so make it alive in it. So that in the end, you will receive all the honor and the glory and the praises. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oftentimes we may think of a benediction as just simply something that we do at the end of the service. Uh, and you may go, okay, that means that the pastor's done, we've, seen this, we've, uh, we've sung the last song, so we all get to go home now. And so let's just say these words. And, and, and many of us, our benedictions just become quite rote. We, we, if they're familiar, if, if I don't know what word, ones you use here, but oftentimes it's a, it could be up to a dozen that Scripture gives us. Some churches use this benediction as the only benediction. 
But oftentimes the benediction becomes insignificant to us, and we're almost tuned out. We're thinking about what we want to eat for lunch. We're, we're, if, our, if our children are a little rowdy, we want to get them out of the service. If we're a little sleepy, we're just waking up from our nap. Whatever it would be, we don't recognize the power of the benediction. So my prayer this morning is that we will begin to appreciate it and see it as an integral part of our worship services. So let's just pause for a moment. What is a benediction? In many ways, it's a blessing. I want to read a couple of authors who've written it. First of all, one, if you know of Derek Thomas, he's a pastor in South Carolina. He wrote this, a benediction is a blessing, a gospel blessing. It's saying to the people of God, you have worshiped. You're going out for the rest of the week to work, to labor. Go in peace. Go with blessing and assurance of God's covenant promises upon you, and he will never leave you and never forsake you, that you are Christ, and you will be Christ forever. You may experience trials and difficulties this week, but you are covenant children underneath the umbrella of the covenant blessings. You are not under the covenant of curses. Remember yourself that you are under the sunlight of the gospel this coming week. The benediction is a glorious moment. It's a promise as God sends out. We, as one other pastor who uh, said it this way, it's the promises of God found in the Word of God declared over the people of God. It is God's Word. We recognize if we see in Luke chapter 22, verse 50, in Luke's account of Jesus going to heaven, we recognize that before Jesus left to ascend to heaven, he prayed a blessing or a benediction over his disciples. And then when we see in this passage, we recognize that this benediction is a blessing, it's a blessing of God, and, but it's commanded by God. Notice again in verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, and he gave the words to see. We recognize that this was a command. It was an important aspect of it. This blessing was part of God was recognizing as the people had received the laws, as the people were numbered, and they were recognized as a people, they were being sent forth. And God commanded the priests to pray this blessing over them and, and pray a certain way. We often ask for God's blessing. I almost guarantee you that if I were going to sneeze today, if I sneeze right now because of allergies or a cold, somebody in this room would say, bless you. Or if you didn't, you would mumble it under your breath because you're fearful of saying it out loud. The concept of blessing and blessing you is, is abstract in our own culture, and, and, and when we say aspects like that, I do want your blessing if I sneeze, but, but I know it's just something you say. So because it's overused, we miss the insignificance of it. So we often, though, when we think often of blessing, we ask God to bless us. When we ask God to bless our food, do we know what it really means when we ask God to bless our food? It may be that we're eating in a scary restaurant someplace and you don't want to get sick. But the roots of that even is that, Lord, oftentimes for those who get very little food, bless this little bit of food I have. But often, most often when we ask for God's blessings, we're asking for selfish things. The blessing, you know, of I, I want something specific. Some children may be asking, you know, my blessing this year is this is a Christmas present I want. But yet when we hear and understand the blessings that are in Scripture, we recognize that it's so much more than that. Uh, John Calvin once wrote, By, but this right was an efficacious, effective testimony of God's grace as if the priests bore from his mouth the commandments to bless. J. 
you realize that? Because the Lord said to Moses to tell Aaron, to tell the priests to say this, that as the priests were saying it, they were simply the mouthpieces of God's declaration of his promises to his people. So it wasn't the blessing, it, wasn't, it didn't depend on how good or bad the priests were, or how faithful they were, or even the intentions that they said it with. Because it was God's word going through the vessel, the people, the priests, to declare his promises. Now, we often think and, that, that, you know, it's it, the, the message of God, oftentimes it is hindered by people around it. But as we are reminded, the scripture itself is powerful. It's living and it's active. But the, when God desires to bless his people, nothing will get in the way. But yet, for some reason, we recognize that God asked the people. A couple things we note here. Not only did God use the priests in that sequence, Moses is told, Aaron is told, the priests are the ones who declare it. Now, there's also something that's very important to remember. It isn't dependent simply on the priest, but on God's word. And I don't want to tell you, to me, that's comfort as a pastor. It's not an excuse to be lazy in preparing God's Word, but I recognize that over these years of doing this, that it's actually the Holy Spirit that works. My work is to study, to prepare, to be prepared to preach, but ultimately the results or what comes out of my sermons or the effect of my sermons is what God desires to do, what He wills to do through the work of the Holy Spirit as He makes His Word alive. Now, there's also, we have to understand that as what's important here is not only was it not reliant on the priest other than for them to communicate it, but it was God gathered his people together. The priests weren't told to wander around from household to household or, or just, you know, send out a quick text blessing to everybody. Well, it didn't work back then, but it, it was something that was declared, gather the people together. And as they come together, I want them to hear this blessing. It's a blessing that is to us individually, but so often what we forget in this world that we live in, and especially in our Western context, the body of Christ, and Christ where Christ dwells, yes, he, we as individuals are the temple of, of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, but we as a body, as we gather together to worship, is where also Christ meets to worship with us, the body of Christ. And there is something that's unique that we must remember, that it's the body of Christ that gathers is where we find the richest blessings. So many of us miss that. And we've discussed it in our, in my, in our own church. Sometimes we're, we're going to cut off the live telecast or whatever, webcast, because we don't want to encourage people to not come to church, because there's something unique where God blesses his people when they gather together. Now, the primary reason we haven't canceled ours isn't because our, our webcast is so good, is that my mom watches it in Florida. So I tell the elders, okay, mom watches it, so we're going to leave it on for a while. But, but this is Aaron's blessing, and we see it's a threefold blessing. And what we see in each of the lines is the Lord, uh, literally Yahweh. So we can actually say with the first line, is the Lord, Yahweh bless you and keep you. You know, our blessing, Matthew Henry, is, I, I like this, our blessing, our blessing God is only our speaking well of him. And we do, we are called as God's people to bless him. We bless him in our, as, as we live our lives. We bless him with our words. We bless him with our songs. We bless him throughout how we live as witnesses in the world. But notice what he says, his blessing us is in doing well for us. Those whom he blesses 
are blessed indeed. Now, there's one essence that's important for us to remember. Every believer in Jesus Christ, if you've received Christ and rest upon Him for your salvation, you're blessed. You're blessed with a blessing, the greatest blessing that you can ever receive. And any of us in this room, including my house, myself, I, I fail to understand that until I get to heaven. One day when I get to heaven and I'm standing face to face, I'm going to go like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get the blessing. So often I was wanting all these secondary things in life and not rejoicing in the greatest blessing that's given to us. See, blessing, as John Calvin writes, blessing is an act of his genuine liberality because the abundance of all things is derived to us from him. He is the fountain of treasures. He's the place where we have the ultimate and the true blessing. Any other blessing or things that counterfeit blessings, blessings that we perceive to be good in our lives, are not truly as rich and satisfying in our lives. You know, I, like probably like many of you, will, be, will receive blessings, and many of these are blessings, but sometimes our blessings are in our own personal accomplishments. Sometimes we can say, I feel so blessed by God to be able to live in this nice neighborhood. Now, that's not wrong to say. It might be a blessing from God, or it could be an idol that you're pursuing and where you find your identity. Our ultimate blessing, though, is when it comes from the favor of God, where He liberally gives us His grace and His mercy as it's poured out on us. So we see that in that blessing, we see that the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, this phrase of keeping is really ha- has a, is, is, is far more expansive than what we see in that one word. Um, you know, keeping is, is, is really speaking of not only protection from, provision for, but also preservation. So when we think of the Lord keeping us, we recognize, and, we, and again, as we look back, if you look at the nation of Israel, if they would only rest in Yahweh's plan, if they would only rest in Him, we would see those promises where He would protect them. And if you read, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that time and time again, where God would win battles for them. It could be Jericho. It could be the Malachite. There was a whole list of times where God would win the battles, and they were amazing battles. And it was very clear, and God made it very clear, that this wasn't something anybody did. It was God keeping them. He was blessing them and keeping them. He was winning their battles for them. But we also see that also, not only that, but God provided for them. They didn't like the manna. They didn't like the quail. They got real sick of it. They were tired of it. They grumbled and complained. But God provided for them. We see even during their time of wandering in the wilderness, their shoes, their sandals did not wear out. There's a picture of the keeping as the provision for, but there's also the level for us, and in that time as well, is the preservation from. See, there's one thing to protect, there's another to preserve. You can be protecting, you can have something in your, in your house, maybe it's your favorite Christmas dessert that you have, that you are protecting and keeping it, right? You have it in your place, but if you don't preserve it, you may save it one day and come to it and only find it's rotten and it's no good anymore. See, God not only keeps us, not only protects us, not only provides for us, but He's preserving us in a world of brokenness, in a, in a world of sin, If you're not aware of it, please pause for a moment and realize that sin is crouching at the door. Temptations in our lives all the time from the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, it's like it is is by God's blessing that we are kept from any sin. He preserves us. 
And guess what? He's preserving us until one day we are, are resurrected with our new bodies. And there's no need for preservation, no need for protection, and there is no need for provision. See, He is the sole defender of the church and of each one of us as believers. And He protects us and He guards us. We are under His guardianship. Psalm 121 speaks of this quite clearly. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, He who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going and your coming from this time forth and forevermore. Do you notice how often the keeping is in that psalm? A psalm rejoicing in the promises of God. But we also ask the Lord's blessing is this, is the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The second aspect of us, making your face to shine upon you, as, as one author wrote, Jehovah, Yahweh, when we look at often scripture, we see that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the face of God is, is, is terrifying, and it should terrify. Even Isaiah, when he didn't see the face of God, just the presence of God, he fell on his knees. Just let me read more from Calvin. I'm, I'm just trying to give you guys a lot of Presbyterian Calvin stuff. So if Tom comes back and he says, did he talk a good reform? So he quoted Calvin a lot, so he's good. But let me say this. For nothing is more desirable for the consummation of our happiness than that we should behold the serene countenance of God, that the people may perceive and taste the sweetness of God's goodness, which may cheer them like the brightness of the sun when it illumines the world in serene weather. You see where Calvin's going? That's our desire to see the face of God. Now, we recognize, as said earlier, that no one got to see the face of God. Moses got to see a reflection because of his holiness. But when we see that his face would shine upon us, we, we can picture in our own humanity, in our own ways, a level of a, of a smiling face, a, a happy face, a, a face that delights in us. Psalm, there's several places in Psalms, but in Psalm 80, verses 3, 7, and 19, we see the phrase, Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. So it's very common for them to realize that when, when there's hardships and difficulties going on, what they looked for more than else is for the favor of God to sh by the shining of His face. We so often, as a people, look at people's faces. Some of us read faces more than others. But if you are a face reader, you can recognize that. You can recognize when someone's being sincere or they're just putting on a, a, you know, a, a, a false smile on their face. You can recognize when, when someone really doesn't like you, even though they may say they do. But there's something about it. You know, as you see, to me, there's uh, several pictures. But, but I, I remember when our, when our son was little or when I, when I see a, 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 a new baby born into our church family, you see the face of those parents shining upon that young child. And as I often say for those parents at that moment, isn't this the most beautiful child ever? And then the pastor standing there, Pastor, isn't he beautiful? Um, he's just born. <laughs> 
You see, there's a beauty there, but the shining of that face, the pleasure of that face. So may God turn and shine His face on you so for that He would be gracious to you. The light shines rays of mercy into our need of salvation and makes the recipient receive that grace. And let me, let me hear, and I want you to hear this clearly. This salvation, this shining of God's face on you isn't a one-time, one-and-done. Yes, it's beautiful when God shines His face upon us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we understand our need for Christ. We recognize our sin, and we are saved by grace through faith. That is a glorious event that we need to remember. And if you don't remember it, that's okay. Just remember that you, God has done that work in us. But I want you to recognize that as we go through life, not only do we need to be saved from the penalty of sin, we need the salvation from the power of sin. And every one of us in this room, including this preacher, recognizes that I still struggle with sin. I need the face of God to shine upon me and be gracious to me. Help me overcome that sin, whatever it be. Some of those sins are hidden. Some of those sins cause a lot of shame. Some of those sins are just keeping our mouths shut when we don't need to. Some of those sins are our thought life. It could go on. But we need to pray that that would be God's blessing on us. God is like, go, shine your face on us. Be gracious to me. Help me in my struggle with the power of sin in my life. From Psalm 67, we recognize, and it's one of my favorite psalms. And if you're in my congregation, like say, Bob, you got a lot of favorite psalms. But this one's my favorite missionary witness psalm. And it talks about God's blessing. But let me read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. You see how the psalmist has written that may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. I know this is a benediction that's a prayer, but maybe part of our lives and our calling is, is as we go through our life, as you get up in the morning, you know, as you look at my, my, uh, my, my story of my life, most of my life has been in sunshine, okay? And then God brought me to New Jersey 14 years ago. And winters, I'm just going to be honest with you, winters, I, I enjoy the seasons, but the long, dark days are not a delight to me. My wife and I exercise, we get outside, and we wait for the winter solstice. Ah, days are going to get longer, starting today, yay! You know, it's like we, we start rejoicing, walking faster. Why? Because we, we want the sunshine, we want the warmth. But nothing compares to the, to the sunshine of God's face shining upon us. May it be a reminder for us as we get out of bed and the day is cold and, and dark. Say, Father, it may be dark and cold and snowy or rainy or whatever it is, but will your face shine upon me today? Shine it on me. Bless me with that. Then thirdly, we see the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lifting up his countenance upon you, is, it's, it's so, kind of hard for us to understand the countenance is the face or the expression of one's face. As I talked earlier about the importance of face reading. For God to lift up his countenance involves taking notice of and treating people with his favor. And in many ways, it's like a father as he takes pleasure in his child. They look them full in the face. As you can see in my bio, we have one son who's, who's grown and, and lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And so... 
We snuck over there for Thanksgiving, and I want to tell you, there's, there's nothing more delightful. You can see their face on FaceTime or Zoom or the many other applications, but there's nothing, nothing like seeing your kid's face and then hugging on him too. But that face, and, and you, could, you could ask my wife the delight, and even my wife as she sees her, as she sees her baby boy, right, grown up into a man bigger than either one of us. The delight in seeing him. But what we're seeing is it's, it's God not only delights in us, but he, he notices us. He treats us with favor. He turns his countenance upon us. See, when God looks at a person, he saves them out of their distress. So again, that picture of an ongoing work of God in our lives. So I, I don't know what your week's been like. These holidays are either wonderful or they're horrible, to be honest with you. Some of you may be ready to get all your family out of the house and you're so glad when they all left. Others may be isolated. I don't know. But regardless of the hardships or the difficulties of the world around us, regardless of our, what we may be feeling, whether it's depression or anxiety or just sickness or whatever, we have the promise that God has lifted up his countenance on us. And as believers of Jesus Christ, as his sons and daughters, as his children, he looks at us and he delights over us. Matter of fact, the scripture says he, he rejoices over us with singing. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our God and his grace towards us? And may he give you peace, shalom. When our Father smiles down on us, it gives us peace. You see, we want that. As children, all of us, at some time in our life, we wanted the delight of our Father, of our earthly Father. I happen to be one who is blessed by, by a godly earthly father who, who, uh, who delighted over me. I remember I'm the youngest of four. My two older brothers uh, did well in mathematics. I didn't. My oldest brothers were uh, far more athletic than I was at that time. I had some issues with my eyes, so my, my athleticism wasn't up to theirs. But I would see my father come and cheer just as hard at my JV games as he would for my brothers who would play on the varsity. He delighted over me, not in my ability, not whether I did better than everybody else, but because I was his son. And that blessing to me still goes on in my life, but if my father were alive and could speak today, he would say, I did it weekly. It was pale compared to your heavenly father who has lifted up his countenance upon you and he delights in you. See, this word, peace, it signifies, it's, again, peace is just a hard English translation for us. You know, shalom means so much more than that. Because it signifies not only rest and a tranquil state of calmness, but also prosperity and success. And I like this, wholeness. See, we are complete in Christ Jesus, whether or not we receive it or understand it fully or not. We have received, as sons and daughters of God, we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. We have the promises of God because he has lifted up his accountants upon us. We have peace, whether or not we can embrace it or we do regularly. Then we move, stepping away from that benediction, we see next verse where we see in verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. 
See, there's something significant of, as believers in Jesus Christ and like the people of Israel. It is as, as in God's declaring his word through his priests that his name was put on the people. You see, the blessings that God gives, that he pours out, are significant. They have enormous significance in our lives. It did to them, but in ours as well, because it's done in the name of the Lord. It is my name that I'm putting upon you. So these benedictions is God putting my name on you, reminding you who you are. And we need to be reminded who we are. As many of you did, there were times where you would send your child out the door and said, remember your name. Remember you're an owner. Remember that son as you go out the door. See, the pronouncement of this blessing placed God's covenant name, Yahweh, on the people. It isn't just something like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, right? That can seem so trite and so shallow, but when we recognize that God in his mercy and his grace has stooped down and he's loved us, he's taken us who are dead in our sins and our trespasses, he's made us alive and he's brought us into his family, he's adopted us, we are his sons and his daughters, co-heir with Jesus, we're part of the family. He has put his name upon us. It's God's covenant name. His promises and His covenants are secure because they're rooted in Him. In blessing the people, the priests were putting God's name on the people of Israel. As we do a benediction, as we do that, we're putting God's name on us, on on the people in the congregation. God's name was placed on them. It should bring them comfort. It should bring them a sense of honor. It should bring a sense of security. And it's a recognition that he's with them. I am with you. You are my sons and my daughters. You are going out with my name upon you. Remember from 1 Chronicles 7, verse 14, many of us, this verse is oftentimes used inappropriately, but in 1 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and heal their lands. There's the name, the significance of who God is. And notice, I will bless them. The last of, of part of verse 27. I will confirm my promises by a blessing. You see, these benedictions and these words are not something trite. They're not simply something to close out a program or a service. They're a reminder that God is sending us out from this place. And sending us into all types of challenges and circumstances. But he's sending out, us out with his name upon us and with his blessing. Now back to the sermon title, Seeing by Hearing. You and I will not see the face of God until we pass from this life into the next. We won't. But God, God understands that, and his blessing is there. Those scriptures of saying, Lord, turn your face, the terminology of face is there. There is a way... Okay, take note of this. There's a way where you can see the face of God. Okay, money back guaranteed. You ready? It's in Scripture. You will begin to see and discover who God is. And it won't be when you get to heaven like, oh, who is that? 
you'll recognize them if you saturate yourselves in the hearing of God's Word. Both in preaching and recognize that even as we read, we're hearing God's Word as we read it silently. We are prepared. We can experience and see the face of God. The promises of God, the promises of experiencing and seeing His face have been given to us as, as through His Word. Now, Jesus came, as John 1 says, He came and he, in the, he was the Word, and He came and dwelt among us. But upon Jesus' leaving, we are also given the Holy Spirit in a unique way. The Holy Spirit's been around all along. It's not a New Testament thing, but He gave us the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit not only indwells us, but enlightens us. That through the Word of God, we see God. We see the face of God. So indeed, if you want to see the face of God, if you want to recognize Him more and more, we do it by hearing and hearing and seeing in the Word of God. So as we come to a close, it's a reminder for us that God has not left us alone. I don't care where you are in your life. And as you start another year, as we guess, you know, uh, we read through... The, the predictions of every year, and every year predictions are going to be wrong. But you have this one promise, is we are going into 2024 with the favor of God, the one who promises to bless us and keep us, the one who is, going to sh who is shining His face upon us, the one who has lifted up His countenance upon us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? I think it is. Let's pray. Father, uh, Forgive us for trying to go through this life on our own. Forgive us for the times where we get frustrated and we, we think we're, we're, nobody understands us. Forgive us for the times where, where, Father, we have chosen our own path. We've rebelled against you. We have not acted like uh, people who you have shined your face upon. So, Father, as we, as we go into another year, we pray that you, uh, you would do work in us. <laughs> that we would be drawn to your word, both personally and pick it up and read it, but also, Father, to worship. I pray for each one. I pray for, for Calvary Presbyterian Church that you would draw people to worship, a time together where, where they together and collectively may see your face and experience your blessings in ways that they never have before. And the greatest of those blessings is to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we can make commitments, we can, we can make pledges for a new year, but Father, we recognize that for our sanctification, for our growing deeper in your word, for reading your word, for hearing your word, that Father, we need your grace to do that. We need you to shine your face on us, give us a heart and a desire to seek after you in a new way. And Father, we know that you promised to do it, because you, you're the one who began this work in us. And you're also the one who's going to complete it. And we thank you for that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.